10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn. Boradar Pal, Kroisoi Abatawi. Hello everyone, welcome to Swansea. Welcome to the Twilight Show. Meet Nathan again on Teachers Talk Radio. And tonight, we are talking early years with Elaine Bennett, an EYFS lead, reception teacher, author, trainer, all about keeping early years unique. Join us, tune in, talk it out. Off we go. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. And Boradar Pal, Chrysoe Abatawi. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Swansea. I see people joining us in the studio live. Uh, Kate there saying, Pembloid happens yet. It is my birthday. Doing Pedwedegin with Kate. So I'll say that just for the Welsh uh, listeners so I don't out myself. I don't know how to say midlife crisis in Welsh, but there we go. Um, it was not 62, Kate has just texted. That is not what I said, listeners, but but thank you anyway. Anyway, tonight we are back down to uh, talking about the youngest children that some of us will work with. And uh, we've got Elaine Bennett joining us. We're going to be talking about early years, EYFS, an area I'm hoping that, you know, some people have some questions about because I think it's one of those things I see people talking about online where maybe there's some misunderstanding. Now, I'm hoping Elaine is with us. Are you there, Elaine? I am, and can you hear me? You are coming through loud and clear there. Um, Great. Welcome to Teachers Talk Radio. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I'm very um, excited to be here today. So thank you. That's all right. I've kind of, uh, you know, kind of uh, introduced it there a little bit. I'm kind of pitching this as like a, a primer you know, like an introduction to for, for people who, who might not know a lot, because I know a lot of our listeners, they might be working in other countries, um, they might be working in secondary education mainly, or even in primary, because some of the questions that have come in when people, you know, we've been text um, tweeting about this over the week, um, there seems to be, even within primary, one of the comments that I saw was um, sort of how to persuade SLT generally, I think, but maybe other teachers in the school, why or what is different about a reception class um so um is that okay we're going to talk about that yeah yeah definitely yep great yeah you know I've got a few I've got hopefully got lots of um points to raise and hopefully be able to give some people not only a bit of an understanding into early years but um also a bit of reassurance and maybe and some guidance for people that are you know really fighting quite hard in their school to uh, be doing the right thing in their reception classes yeah um and you know i will put my hands up here i was you know i worked in primary schools i was a primary deputy head so i was leading a school in in some some areas and it's not necessarily somewhere and we'll talk maybe about training and where people can get support a bit later on it's not it's kind of a specialism within a specialism in some senses within the school isn't it oh definitely yeah definitely and i think 
um, you know, we're going to talk later on, aren't we, about SLT and um, sort of people's perceptions of the early years. But it is a real, real specialism. And I think that is why sometimes I get really concerned when people are sort of, um, you know, suddenly informed, oh, you're going to reception next year. And they've never been in, they've never been there in their life. And perhaps they've been teaching up a key stage two. And they're sort of literally thrown at the deep end. And it is a real specialism and it is very different. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, hopefully exploring some of that. Yeah, you know, I think it'll be really interesting, particularly for some of our secondary colleagues, as you say, upper key stage two colleagues as well, because um, there is a, a there's more of a flow, I think, between some of that uh, key stage three, some of the things that are developing and happening there into, you know, it's, it's coming down into key stage two, even into key stage one, I think, so, you know, in some areas. And but there is, you know, um, I, well, we will get on to it anyway. So I guess we better really, you know, we're getting ahead of ourselves. We better introduce um, ourselves or, you know, introduce yourself to the listeners. So tell us uh, a little bit about yourself and what you currently do. Um. Yeah. OK. Um, well, hi, everybody. So my name's Elaine. I'm Elaine Bennett. Um, I'm currently a reception teacher um, and an early years leader. So that means within my primary school down here in not so sunny South End, um, I manage the nursery and reception part of the school, which is the, the early years part of the school. Um, and I've been teaching, goodness me, probably for about 23 years. Um, but I think what has kind of really shaped me as quite often people will say they're practitioners in the early years yeah so you might hear that term popping up if you're not familiar with it but what's really shaped me as a practitioner is the fact that before I became a teacher I was a nursery nurse and you might not know a lot about that um, but basically I did a qualification when I left school um, at college and it was what we called the NNEB diploma so it was a nursery nursing diploma and for those two years you study child development, you study birth to seven, you know, children's development, how children learn, you study um, how important play is, you know, how to develop play, you study how to observe children and what that tells you about them and what, you know, how what you observe should be informing what you're doing. And actually, I always say this, it's that qualification that I think made me the advocate I am for the early years, made me the teacher that I am because, um, you know, the, 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 the degrees that we do to become teachers or perhaps people do PGCEs or skits, whatever people are doing on that journey to becoming a teacher, there is very little, if any, child development in, in it and there's very, very little child um, early years focus. So for me, being a nursery nurse uh, is a really important part of my journey to being a, an early years teacher. And so, sorry. And so then I do. So I teach. Um, but as you mentioned in the intro, you know, I do write. I do training. Um, I worked as an, um, an early advisor in South End Local Authority for a few years. But I do lots of writing, lots of training um, and a lot of campaigning, which I didn't ever really plan to do. But I think it needs to be done. Um, and obviously, um, about or nearly seven years ago, I know the chat tonight, you know, is sort of about keeping the early years unique. That's actually a Facebook page I started about seven years ago out of frustration, really, for what was happening in the early years. Um, and we've now got about 51,000 members. So, you know, I'm kind of really involved in a lot of sort of grassroots stuff. But my feet are very, very, very firmly based 
in the classroom. That's where my heart is, really. Okay, and it's really interesting to hear you talk about that background because, for you know, myself, I was a upper primary kind of specialist is is where I I saw myself kind of pitched anyway, but as I said, you know, moving into SLT, and as you kind of described as well, I could have at any point been put in any classroom by a head teacher. They could have just gone, right, you're teaching reception class this year. Um, so it's probably worth us talking about that definition of what, um, where you know, sometimes we'll say reception class, sometimes we'll say EYFS, sometimes early years. Um, and some schools have, like yourself, have a nursery as well. But mm-hmm. can you explain sort of for the listeners maybe about that that definition? Because there is a, a change in what we're looking at, that kind of age boundary. It, it, it goes below the primary school, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. And I think that's a really important point, actually. You know, I think there's a lot of focus, you know, on schools and the EYFS in schools. But actually, when we when I talk to you in a minute, as I'm going to now, about the early years framework that we're talking about, because the EYFS is the early years foundation stage, is what it stands for. And it's actually a framework um, that is a statutory framework that goes from birth to five. So if you're if people are in, if people are child minders, if um, you're running a, you know, a day nursery um if you're in a nursery class in a school like me um if you're in a private school in the early years if you're in a reception class who have I forgotten um you know if you're in a, 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 a preschool inside like a church hall where you put everything away every day if you're with children from birth to five so up until the end of reception we all come under this um framework which is the EYFS and it's a statutory legal framework that sort of spells out the requirements, actually, the requirements, you know, and what we have to do in terms of not just helping children learn and develop, but also keeping them safe and keeping them healthy. So it's it's it, it's um it's not just education, it's about care as well. So it's a document that sets out and the Ofsted will be inspecting against, and it sets out things like, you know, safeguarding you know, welfare, so things like, you know, what are the ratios of staff? And the ratios are different in different settings. Um, It sets out things around, you know, for example, how much space you have to have for different ages of children. So there's lots, it's it's a lot more than curriculum. You know, it's a whole, it's a whole framework that we have to follow. And it's about, you know, those, those early years of life, and making sure that children get the very best start in terms of not just learning and development, but that sort of care and safety too. Um, yeah. And it, and it and goes you, up to the end of reception. Um, yeah. And, I'm, you know, hopefully after, you know, I kind of, we've given a kind of rough, I've, I've given you a kind of a rough plan of what, you know, the things that yeah. hopefully we'll talk about, but hopefully, you know, after the ads, we'll talk a bit about that because I've tentatively used the word subjects um, mm. which I know isn't kind of, but, you know, from a teacher point of view, people might be thinking, oh, you know, um, if I take a uh, a secondary model and a primary school is just little versions of those mm-hmm. and that, you know, and kind of work on that, that's, that's not really how it, you know, how it is worked or how it is. Um, I'm trying not to put any uh, kind of tone, tone on it, but uh, let me phrase it this way. I know um, many uh, practitioners, as you say, and they would call themselves that, who get very frustrated in a primary school setting where we send out emails that say, oh, key stage one and key stage two are doing this. 
mm-hmm. and they say yeah. hang on what about us we are something different we are as you would say something unique yeah and I think as well what I'd also say is when you t- when you use the term early years you know as a nursery nurse for me the early years are birth to seven um if you look around the world you know, where a lot of schools, children don't start that sort of formal education that we would have as reception. They don't start that till they're six or they're seven. So, you know, the to, when we say the early years, to me, year one and year two are the early years. Um, it's But under this framework, it is very much birth to five. I, I mean, if anyone can tell me what happened so drastically over the summer holiday after reception that children suddenly need a completely different education in year one I'd love to know if someone tells me what suddenly happens to children when they leave reception some of them aren't even going to probably be five until the August the youngest children they suddenly go to year one and for too many children they're sat on chairs all day you know completing worksheets and uh, what's changed nothing child development hasn't changed uh, yeah, and I, you know, I should, uh, I should probably throw in there. Sat in Wales as I am, that in Wales, uh, the foundation phase, as it's called, actually goes up to goes from uh, the age three to seven. So it mm. is a slightly different setup. So uh, even here in Wales, there is a different perspective on on and that. It, England's a real outlier on this. If you look at Scotland, Scotland have got really great curriculum guidance. If you look at the stuff that's happening in Wales, if you look at the things, even you know, in the, over in um, Northern Ireland, you know that we are a real outlier in so many ways in England. Um, And I think none more so than the sort of pressures that you're talking about that are coming into reception classrooms. It wouldn't be happening in other European countries. It wouldn't be happening around the world, but you know, it's happening here and it's something that I, I feel very passionately needs to be challenged. And so the, the other bit I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on initially before we kind of talk through a bit more. And I should say for our listeners, if you are listening live, you can uh, tweet us, um, you can text in, um, send us your questions. If you let us know what um, your current and what you have experienced, because that would be interesting where people's questions are coming from um but one of the bits i've, I've kind of talked a little bit about you know uh, my experience you've talked about yours but to teach a reception class which i could feasibly do um well in fact i have done um i have a um mine was specialized in upper primary pgce um, mm-hmm. So that would be all the training I have. So um, in your experience, obviously, you've talked a bit about your route, but do you think that there is enough? What's the average sort of amount of training oh, specialising in, in, in a reception class or an EYFS it's, area? It's variable. And actually, I would say it's really poor. I mean, I've even heard of teachers who are on placements who be told, who are being told by their, you know, by their um, training providers, oh no, you can't go to early years for a placement. That doesn't count. It's got to be key stage one or key stage two. Um, you know, we now have routes into teaching where people train to become a teacher within a matter of months. You know, if they're doing school based, they have very, very, very little input in um, EYFS. And I mean, I did a three to 11 degree. I specialised in three to eight. And there was, I don't think there was any child development on my degree. I did a three to eight degree. You know, what I know, I know from nursery nursing, not from my B.Ed. Um, and the same token, you can get people who, who do an early years degree. And they are, they're called early years teachers, I think they're called. 
but they don't have they don't get given QTS. So then they're you know they they're not on the same pay scale. Um, and a lot of them who signed up for it were told that was you know they were going to be teachers, but actually so they're studying this child you know they're studying to be early as teachers, and then when they come out they you know they're not on the same playing field. No, and I would add into there as well, you've talked a little bit about um, ratios and numbers of staff as well. But certainly in my experience, I would say that all of the adults in in the, the room, in the area, in the, you know, whatever's being used to deliver it, certainly down in reception, they would be spread across very different areas. And we'll talk maybe a bit about that when we talk about what's actually happening in classrooms. Um, but certainly... Um, I would say there is, I mean, I don't want this to come across wrong, but certainly I would I would feel there is a, it's certainly an expectation on all adults within the room, uh, and I would say teaching assistants there as well. Completely. That they are, I don't know, and that might be something that people throw back at me, but it's something I feel that there is maybe a heightened expectation on what is done in a um, reception class, nursery class, by all of the adults or the amount of independence they have to take over the learning. Yeah, and I think, you know, if you if you came into our classroom, um, you know, we've got 60 children in our reception base, we've got a big open plan base, we have got probably one, two, three, we've got five staff. And a lot actually I think if you came into if you popped into my setting, you know, when the children are off for you know are, are playing, so they're in provision, I like to think you wouldn't know who was a teacher, who was a nursery nurse, and who was the assistant. You wouldn't you wouldn't know. Because we all have a responsibility and we are all completely focused on those really high quality interactions with the children. Now, obviously, as the class teacher, you know, the buck stops with you and, you know, you are ultimately accountable. Um, but everyone should be playing their part in supporting things like observations and, you know, te teaching because it's a team effort. Uh, certainly and you know we've had some texts coming in um kate here has uh, texted and just saying i get asked a lot about teaching techniques and strategies but don't have experience of teaching eyfs and i do feel it's very different i think after you know we'll have some ads in a little bit once we've kind of done all of our introduction parts where i really want to get down to the kind of the nitty-gritty of how it works as part of this as i say we're kind of doing a primer for people you know, who don't have the experience mm -hmm. of early years, or even, you know, I would say, hopefully, certainly, as once I became a deputy head of a primary school, I put myself on a training course about um, the early years, in particular, because I realised that was a massive area of weakness for me, that I didn't know a lot about. And hopefully, we can kind of cover some, some of those basic stuff that people should know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, now, I just want to check off that there's nothing else that I wanted to um, sort of cover off just before we do go. Um, so we've talked a little bit about where you've where you've come from. And it's a really interesting kind of journey into the career you've had. We talked a little bit about the experience that other people have um, have had into it. Um, we've also talked um, a little bit about kind of some of those basics about what it all means. Now, as far as a, um, a, and I keep falling back to this word practitioner, I don't think I've ever been deliberately told that that's what I should call them. Do you call yourself an early years practitioner? Um, I don't know what I call myself. Do you call yourself a teacher? <laughs> I suppose, in, I, think, I think because I'm in, I think it depends. I think in school I call myself teacher um, because kind of I'm in school and that's how it's viewed. But if I was writing a blog or an article, 
I might describe myself as a practitioner. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not quite sure. I think in school I, I am probably, I am a teacher, you know, and um, that's kind of how I'm viewed. But, yeah, seen, I mean, I, I, I'm really, over my career, I've worked with some really amazing um, support staff and I feel really passionately, well, first of all, they're not paid nearly enough. Um, Agreed. Strong agree actually, on that one. Strongly yeah. agree. Um, and actually, when they're working the early years, they 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 do have a lot, you know, there's a lot of things they're involved with that maybe they wouldn't be involved with further up the school in terms of observations, you know, and notes and, you know, those sort of discussions around children's development and teaching perhaps more than perhaps if they're further up the school. Um but I, I really think it is a team effort. And although I say I'm a teacher, you know, in my in my setting, I, I really try and nurture a team where it's not about, well, I'm the teacher and you're this and you're that. Um, and I think that's really, and I think it's really important for the children as well to see that, you know, we are all part of the same team. Um, I know when I used to be a nursery nurse, there's nothing more I hated more than being in a placement and being called, oh, there's Mrs. So-and-so, she's the helper. I couldn't bear that. Um, so I think it's about professionally having respect for your team too and nurturing that team. And yeah, and I will say, you know, in, in my experience of the the, the early year setting, so the reception classes in particular that I've seen working really well, uh, I would describe it as you have, where you would struggle to know who the person with the qualified teacher status was and who the other adults were in the thick of learning happening. Yeah, you know, and obviously yeah. there are other responsibilities outside of that, but in the thick of it, you know, during learning time, it is really hard um, to, to kind of tell those apart when it's working well. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that I wanted to touch on just briefly, and I know you've mentioned this slightly about kind of uh, when we talked about international examples about other things. Um, do you have much um, work? Do you do much work? Well, uh, you know, obviously there's, I would imagine there's some advocacy parts involved do you do much work with um into key stage one into key stage two with strategies and support um not so much i mean i do do some stuff into year one i mean goodness me i think year one is a massive uh, bone of contention in a lot of schools year mm. one i think if if i ever had the chance to be working on po policy um in education really i think year one should really be a transitional year you know, the children have come out of reception. Some of them are still only just five when they first join uh, year one. And that should really be a transitional year. You know, if year two is going to be more formal, as it generally is, year one should be that sort of bridge between the early years and year two, in my opinion. Um, yeah, and I, you know, I, that's what I was kind of hinting at. I didn't want to load yeah. the question there, too there, much. There, there is, um, there, I tell you what, if anyone's interested in year one, there are some schools around the country being really brave with year one and doing kind of, I'm not going to say they continue the early years, but they continue the principles of the early years, the sort of things we're going to talk about later on. Um, there are schools in London and around the country who are doing that and being really quite creative. And, and it's paying dividends. And if anyone would like to know more about that, um, there's a lady called uh, Julie Fisher who has written the most phenomenal book um, about moving on to key stage one. And it's brilliant for anyone who is really thinking about how can they improve transition? How can they improve year one and year two within their schools? Um, yeah, so I think I think there's a lot of work to do in year one. And, uh, uh, you know, this is me imparting a very, bi you know, this is my small view of it. 
but and certainly this might be tainted by the fact that I moved to England from Wales after training in Wales at, at primary. Um, but I noticed possibly around the 2014 national curriculum changes that what used to spread or at least I felt the um, kind of that practice of uh, child-centered development lower down in key stage one that spread further up the school started to shrink and mm. year two started to be a bit more um, mm. formalized as you would say there you know because sats became ever more pressure on sats and then uh, things like the phonic screening came in and and certainly again this kind of build toward formalized learning earlier yep. and earlier would that be something that you've noticed over time oh huge i mean you know if you go back in time you know you used to have sand um you know so sand and water trays in year two you know you used to have a home corner in year two i i don't think you'd find very many of those anymore um, and even in year one you know very few children go to year one and still have you know well, not very few, I shouldn't say that, but not enough children go to year one and still have, you know, sand and water and construction and home corners. And, you know, and I think when you're a, I think as a nation, I think it's really awful, actually, what's happened, because I keep saying it. What is so what a lot of schools, when they have their inspections, you know, early years, if for many schools is a strength so what happens in early years, we know works, yeah? Why aren't we looking at how we can develop that beyond, you know, take those things that really work and look at how they can go into year one? I, I really don't get why it is suddenly in year one, children seem to suddenly need something completely different. And I think I mentioned Julie Fisher there, and she always talks about a piece of research um, where there was a big transition project and they talked to these children in year one about what's it like being in year one. And this little boy, he was five years old, said, being on the carpet, it wastes your life. I mean, what, you know, and so many children are having their time wasted in year one um, because they're just being kept sat still and, you know, chalk and talk. And it's not how children learn. And, you know, I would certainly tag on to that myself as, a you know, one of the a frustrating thing that I see uh, from a school leadership point of view around um, children being ready to move on is even if you're doing fantastically well in your um, reception class provision, you'd probably be getting 80% of your kids to a good level of development. Um, and that means there's a fifth of the children who aren't ready to come out of early years yet. Yeah, and but do you I, know, I know we're going to come on to this later on about assessment, yeah. but the fatal flaw with a good level of development is that you're measuring all children, whether, whether they are, you know, almost going to be six or still not five, you're measuring them with the same measuring stick. Yeah, certainly. And then transitioning them on as well. Yeah. To, uh, as you describe, and would be my experience of there being certainly a rapid change of uh, facilities, staffing, mm. space, um, space, yep, resources. certainly resources available to them. Um, certainly. Right. Well, 
I think we have, you know, <laughs> we've got a really solid base for our listeners. Now, remember, guys, if you are listening in live, you can text them in. We've already had some texts in there from Kate asking for recommended books and blogs about EYFS that she can read. Um, text us in any questions you have. Remember to let us know what you teach at the moment, because that would be really interesting to see where questions are coming from. You know, um, we, as I say, this is a kind of an, an early years primer where we're talking about kind of a, a real kind of base understanding of what's going on in that very first, maybe first two uh, classes of a school, depending if you have a nursery or not. Uh, now, when we come back after uh, these short ads, we're going to get into the nitty gritty of, I mean, dare I say, it, Elaine, I'm gonna, you know, I'm going to be asking about <laughs> subjects. I'm going to be asking about targets and levels, all of these things that as a teacher, those are very uh, upper primary secondary words that have they 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 mean something different don't mm. they down down yeah. down in the early years yeah definitely um, it'll be good to discuss that actually i think that'd be great cool so um if you have to stick around till after these short ads we will see you all on the other side This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Introducing Uplearn. Uplearn is an online curriculum learning resource for A-levels that improves student outcomes whilst reducing teacher workloads. Teachers use Uplearn to facilitate independent learning and consolidation of classroom material. Over 150 schools have seen grade improvements with Uplearn, including St Paul's Girls School, Michaela Community School and ARC Schools. Book a demo at uplearn.co.uk and quote TTR for 10% off. That's Uplearn, U-P-L-E-A-R-N If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common, a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. Live from Swansea. This is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello everyone, welcome to Swansea, welcome to Teachers Talk Radio. The twilight show with me uh, nathan ginn on this wednesday evening and i am joined by elaine bennett who is uh, eyfs leader reception teacher author trainer um on twitter at keep e wise unique 
um, if you want to follow her. And that's what we're talking about. Um, you know, uh, those first two years, maybe if you've got a nursery or certainly your first reception class in a primary school, what is different about it? What do we need to know as 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 other teachers? And um, yeah, uh, that's what we're getting into. If you can see the chat, you'll see people have been sending in their questions already. You'll also see uh, me being age shamed. It is my birthday um, today. Pembroid Happis, um, as we would say here in Wales. Um, I'm not 62, as um, Kate has messaged in there. But if you do want to guess my age, feel free. It's certainly below that but not, not, not by much. Um, Elaine, are you still with us? Yep, lugging my tea, but I'm still here. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Now, uh, we have had a good old natter to start off the show. We've, we've, mm -hmm. we've heard a little bit about um, sort of your route into the profession, sort of from the nursery route, sort of coming up, I would say that is. I've talked a little bit about, about me coming down, you know, and uh, so reception classes in particular then are a kind of transitionary point. Uh, where where two two tides two systems meet and certainly I've you know talked a little bit about my feelings about that and you've kind of added to that about the fact that I felt some pressure coming down the schools uh, and some changes coming down certainly when I was teaching in England uh, of some of those things moving down the schools uh, and changing how we uh, how we see key stage one to make it less like um, we'll be describing now but we're going to talk about probably the big questions and I'm going to put my secondary school teacher hat on and I'll be asking these questions. And so I will be using the wrong words, but I'll be using the words um, that um, uh, I would imagine secondary school teachers might use about it without any experience of um, this area of work. So feel free to correct me completely and tell me that I use completely the wrong word. Um, <laughs> Some of it is deliberate, but some of it is my own ignorance. So I will say that. And as I say, it's important to admit that because I was leading a primary school at one point where I was having to make decisions. And, and that's really tough for some for leaders. You have to trust in the experts that you have in those areas. Um, but teachers might be, again, as you've said, moving into it or suddenly be told, hey, next year you're teaching in reception class. And there are some differences. So is that OK? Yeah, that's great. That's great. Okay, so first question. Here we go. Um, what's taught in EYFS? What you know? What are the subjects? Okay, so in the EYFS, we have seven areas of learning and development. Okay, now if anyone has been teaching quite a while, like me, um, here in England, uh, you might recall. I'm not even sure what year it was, but there was a curriculum that was going to come out you know, for key stage one and key stage two, um, and it never actually made it. It was printed, the training was ready. We had a change of government and it got changed. It all went under. Um, and what was interesting is actually what was planned back then, you might remember what year that was, uh, what was planned back then was more kind of like areas of learning or domains Probably a bit like I think you probably have in Wales. So in the early years, we don't have separate subjects, but we have seven areas of learning and development. Now, this is this is really um, important to hold on to. Okay, three of those areas of learning and development, and what has to be taught within those areas. A brief, a kind of a summary is given in that EYFS framework I mentioned earlier. So for each of these areas, you get like a 
what they call an educational program, like a bare bones in each of these areas from birth to five. You know, how should things, what should, what sort of things should be happening? Um, out of those seven areas, three of them are prime areas. Now you might be thinking, what is a prime area? Prime areas are areas that are universal around the world. And they are areas that are kind of time dependent. You know, to me, they're the absolute fundamentals. You know, they're the, the absolute crux. And these are three areas which are, you're not going to say you're against the clock, but they develop within a window of time. And that window of time is the early years. So those three prime areas are communication and language. That does not include reading and writing. It's literally communicating and, you know, speaking and understanding and listening, those sorts of things. So you've got communication and language. You've got personal, social and emotional development. And you've got physical development. And the physical development includes um, large motor skills, you know, moving around, as well as sort of small motor skills, you know, like moving towards writing and using tools. But also things like health and self-care, you know, like toileting and getting dressed and you know being keeping yourself safe so those three areas the language communication and language is the first one you've got pscd and physical those are your prime areas they are your absolute bedrock you know children have got a, a a window of time to develop those areas so it's really important that you know between birth to five um, oh my goodness, I've just seen a college about knowledge organisers. We're going to come on to that one later on. Remind me about that one, Katie. Um, those three areas are fundamental. Um, then, so okay, you've got your three prime areas, you know, the absolute bedrock. And then on top of that, you've got your four specific areas, which are probably more like the sort of subjecty sort of things that you talk about. So you've got literacy, obviously, you're reading and writing, huge, huge area of that now is phonics, and the pressure on phonics and reception is massive um i'd like to come on to that later on if we can you've got yeah. mathematics which is a particular passion of mine and then you've got understanding the world that includes things if you're going to be subjecty that would include things like science um geography um history um re what they've taken out interestingly is technology which i think is really okay. interesting and then your final one is expressive arts and design. And that's all your, you know, your art, drama, DT, music. So you've got your three prime areas, which are your bedrock. Then you've got these four sort of specific areas, the literacy, the maths, the understanding the world, and expressive arts and design. Those four areas, those four specific areas, if I was going to define them to you, I would say, and actually the EYFS said in one of its earlier guises, they are culturally defined. You know, around the world, they might look different. They would look different. Um, and also they're not so time dependent you know although it wouldn't be ideal to learn to read as you got older you could learn to read easier as you got older than if you couldn't speak okay mm -hmm. so the specific areas are important they still go from birth to five you know it's not a thing of oh well, we're not going to teach maths until they come to reception you know and um, I'm a big advocate of you know math starts from when babies are born and goes through um but those specific areas sit on those prime areas. If you haven't got those prime areas, if you know, if, if you can't communicate, if you haven't got personal, social, emotional development, if you're not, if you know, if you haven't got those physical skills, it's going to really impact on your life chances. So you've got those, those are your seven kind of areas of 
I suppose you would say subjects or learning and development, but really fundamentally, as well as the what, those seven areas are our what, you've also got the how, how children learn. And those are called the characteristics of effective learning. And they are things like, you know, children concentrating, children being engaged, children exploring, children being critical thinkers. So you've got this wonderful mixture of the kind of the what of learning and then the how. And, you know, now we've kind of introduced those a little bit to people, people might start to see, hopefully, you know, like, you know, I, I'm now teaching in a different discipline in a different part of the country. But I always found it frustrating that things like the characteristics of effective learning, things like the PSED, which mm -hmm. is slightly different, and some of the, the physical aspects about um, health and, um, and, and looking after yourself, don't transit, they, they don't, it doesn't transition into year one. No. Some of these things just stop. We report on them at the end of reception year. We go, right, you know, Matt didn't meet. You're into year yeah. one and, and here's some lessons. And I guess the other important thing for any middle leaders, maybe, a you know, there might be a, a reading lead or there might be a, a history lead in a primary school who is approaching their um early year staff and saying okay well you know i'm mapping out the history curriculum yeah. maybe like um kate has sort of suggested in the messages and don't forget you can text in if you have questions um you know someone might say oh we're all going to have knowledge organizers because oh, the history department have decided we are all you know i'm history lead i love a knowledge organizer i've seen it working well at secondary seen it working well at upper key stage two maybe i want everyone to have knowledge organizers and that yeah. blanket approach sort of forgetting that there's a difference. Do you know what? I was going to say it. Absolute nonsense. Children in the early year should not have knowledge organisers. And do you know what? It's exactly what you said. It's this filtering down. And I, for one, am completely sick and tired of things, you know, re you know, the amount of times people come on Twitter and will quote some research at me. And it's research that it comes from secondary children or upper key stage two children. It's not appropriate for children, perhaps even in key stage one, let alone the early years. And, you know, and the knowledge organiser is a key example of that. Um, it drives me absolutely berserk. Not appropriate. Who is it for? And if it's not for the children, then why on earth are people doing it? Is my reply. It's not how children learn, is it? Um, um, getting lots of thumbs up uh, in the uh, in the chat if you are listening live don't forget you can comment there um, Kate agreeing there yep agreeing um, not appropriate um, and, and this is why I think this discussion is really important because you know there will be some potentially and you know I stereotype here I stereotype but I am stereotyping myself to some extent is you know a primary school there might be a primary school deputy head or, you know, um, who um, is implementing new things, who has only ever worked in Key Stage 2 and, mm -hmm. and hasn't gone through the training. And hopefully we'll talk a bit about where people can go for that a little bit later on. Now, the next bit, we've kind of done subjects. Yeah. Um, and so my next one, like, I, I don't even know how to like, you've already kind <laughs> of uh, mentioned chalk and talk. It. Like, I'm going to try and get it out. OK. Go on, go on. Right. OK. Well, in that case, what sort of teaching happens? Where are the lessons? Sorry. Well, no, Sorry. do you know what's really... No, 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 no. 
let's I really mate I really hope we can come on to later on actually to where this all come from because mm. you know I think I mean I'm aware that obviously I'm a reception teacher so I'm talking about reception um but teaching in the early years and I'm going to talk you know birth to five it is so um it's so skilled and it looks very different and actually one of the great things that I'm going to thank Ofsted for um, is their definition of teaching in the early years. So at Ofsted, some of their inspectors might not know what they actually say, but what Ofsted say, if I sort of summarise it, is that in the early years, your interactions are your teaching, your environment is your teaching, you know, um, your um, routines and your structures of the day are your teaching. You know, teaching in the early years is so multifaceted. Um, and I think that, quite often I think what is happening more and more in reception classrooms is that that the pressure is coming down and that that wonderful sort of approach to teaching I think is being driven out of reception classes and a lot of reception classes now are really running like uh you know lots of them lots of them now are running you know with an hour of literacy an hour of numeracy and children are carouseling round um you know, and very pre pre planned topics. You know, we don't care if you're interested in this or that. This is our topic. We're doing this topic to cover this part of the curriculum. Um, so you know, teaching in the early years, I think if you come in, it will be different. Obviously, if you're a child minder, your teaching will look different to from if I'm in a reception class. Um, but really, what it's about is, it's it's a. I think as a reception teacher. Um, I would say that there's a really careful balance. You know, there is a place for some more kind of adult-led activity. Yes, but there's a really important place for lots of opportunity for children to initiate their own play. Okay, you know, that's a word I wanted. I'm going to yeah, jump on that. Child-initiated. It, balance. I yeah. hear this word, child-initiated. Yeah. Can you expand on that? What it's, is child-initiated? Child-initiated is basically you know if you have got a really rich environment for children you know where there's lots of and i don't mean plastic fantastic resources you know but if you've got a well-resourced environment so in my reception classroom we've got a big art area we've got a construction area we've got home corner we've got sand we've got water we've got puzzles and games and you go outside and we've got dim building and big wooden blocks and music and sand and water and all of these things Self child-initiated play is basically exactly what it says in the tin. The child initiates their own activity. They initiate the play. You know, they go to the art area or they go to wherever they want to go. They choose where they're going. We don't say, right, blue group. Not that I have blue group, but, you know, it's not about saying, right, you're in this area, you're in that area. The children choose where they want to go and they initiate their own activity. And as a teacher, you can't plan. You know, I see so many people put on their planning, or, you know, oh, I'm planning some child-led. Well, you can't plan child-led because it's not you leading it but the skillful teacher the role of the teacher there is when the child has initiated that play the role of the teacher is to look at what's going on take time to watch observe there's nothing wrong that's part of your teaching you stand back you observe and you think to yourself in this moment what this child's doing right now what can I do to to scaffold that you know to make it to help that child make progress in this particular moment and sometimes you know what there's nothing they are what they're doing they're, they're operating at their, their optimum level 
they're highly engaged they don't need you so you're fine other times you know perhaps you might suggest something or provide something or have a chat about it but quite often as teachers what we do is we jump in and start saying oh how many have you got oh what are you doing oh what are you making oh what shape is it oh what color is it and in that moment we completely interfere in what they're doing we switch them off and they probably just walk off somewhere else so it is very very skilled but if but at the same time there's that place for that child led for the child initiated there's a place for the adult initiating you know it's a really careful balance yeah and i would say you know where i've seen that when we're talking about adult adult led i certainly see you know phonics lessons i've seen where it is more towards that but maybe oh, that's course, part of the yeah. pressure um, yeah. that we talk about moving down certainly around um you know more structured sort of reading being read to hearing a story or songs and rhymes maybe some being taught some specific games that they can engage in but, and that's but in so important amounts. and that well, the things that you're talking about are they really important you know reading you know reading to children yes read 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 to children yes definitely and you know modeling and teaching those things that's important but then so is the child to actually trying to go off and be able to apply that or initiate their own learning so it's a really really careful balance um okay so one of those things, I would say, you know, what we haven't done, and, and people might be trying to picture this kind of, you know, I don't want people to picture um, a kind of a, a key stage two classroom where this is trying to happen and children are just kind of doing their own thing. The early years environment, as you said, is part of the the structure of teaching, the, the opportunity of learning, I would mm. maybe phrase it as. Um, and so I would always advise, like, you know, spend money down in early years on you know perishable items as well because you know the, the, there's a lot of stuff going on down there that gets lost stuck in plug sockets not live yep. ones i should say <laughs> but i have been you know pulling things out of holes in going the home in pockets like, and school bags going home in yep. pockets, all of those things yep. so can you kind of describe either a snapshot of a you know and i'm again doing those quote marks with my fingers of a lesson you know if someone was to work walk into a reception class for example yeah. what might they see happening okay so if as you said there you know there are times that are more adult-led so if you walked into my class and it was phonics time i'd be teaching phonics and the children would be you know sitting on the carpet engaging in phonics yeah that would be that but then once they've done their phonics and they go off into what we call free flow which is also you know part of our teaching the door is open the children can be inside can be outside and really what you would walk in and what you would see are adults interacting with children and down at children's levels in groups or perhaps with individuals with children. You might, you might see me in the book corner snuggled up reading some books with some children. Um, you might see my nursery nurse in the garden doing some building with the big blocks. The children made the Mary Rose the other day. Now, I haven't talked about the Mary Rose, but we've got two boys who just love the Mary Rose and the Titanic. So they were out there doing that, and she had the iPad out, and they were looking up information about them. So, you know, you go, what you're going to see is teaching, but is teaching through interaction. So it's going to be a different start. And there will be some children who haven't got anybody with an adult with them, but they are still learning and they are still making progress because the adults have invested time and thought into that environment that ensures the children are highly engaged and they are still learning even if the adult isn't there. 
and for some of this this is pulling on those those prime areas completely um, you know where we're talking about communication and language talking explaining even with peers uh, interacting personal and social and emotional development all of those things that are you know and it's it's trying to fit a you know a secondary upper key yeah. stage model onto it where i'm saying subject but what i mean is it's it's a thing that you are focused on yeah um, you know it might be putting their coats on and doing their zips up or it might be you know you've got a couple of them have had a little argument so you you know the adult is sitting down with them saying okay well let's use our words now let's try and sort this out you know and that is a lesson isn't it you know your friends upset you so you have you know a lesson might be the adult sitting down with those children and talking about that and helping them to resolve that conflict that is an important that's a, and anybody who walks in needs to recognize that that is teaching well it is but i've never understood why that stops in here one do you know what i mean and that's the bit that yeah I, it's infuriating infuriate. yeah well yeah, exactly yeah infuriating <laughs> We both say it. Okay, uh, well, th- while we're talking about infuriating, I'm probably going to drop the, the biggest bomb that I've got for you as no, far sure as questions <laughs> go, right? Okay, so let me, I need to compose myself for this. Go on, go on, I'm ready. Head. Okay, well, uh, you know, uh, well, how are we going to measure measure it then? What are our targets? What are our levels for these children? How are we grading them? Okay, so in the if we think about the EYFS from birth through to five, there are three assessments that happen for children. Um, three of there are three statutory assessments. Okay, um, one of them is the two-year check, which I, I'm not a big expert on that, but I know that and it's in the EYFS. If you want to know more about it? I know that you know at the age of around two years old, children have a two-year check. Then, controversially. And in my opinion, a complete waste of everybody's time, money, energy, and worse than that, completely damaging to a really important phase of a child's life is the baseline assessment. Children join school, they join reception, and within their first six weeks, they're taken out of the classroom and they are tested on a computer um, to give data to the government on literally English and maths. And this is something that's been, you know, sort of dragging because of COVID has been dragging <laughs> yeah. on for a little bit. But, it, yeah. you know, I think there, it was, you know, at least four, maybe five years ago, we were talking about piloting yeah. or discussing this. And then we've had it kind of COVID has come and interrupted it. But certainly it's, there have been people have trialed it and it didn't go oh, well, was my understanding dreadful. of it. Absolute dreadful. And you know what? It, it's been on the agenda for years and, you know, it's been proven not to work. There's so much evidence. There's so much you know, there's research, I think, from Berra, you know, called a baseline without basis. There is, it's been sh- proven to be a completely flawed, unreliable test, but they will not let it go. So, so that's when children first join school. That gives teachers nothing. And by, I think it was Nick Gibbs' own admission, it's not for the teachers anyway. It's just about data. So there's that. And then at the end of reception, there is the early years profile, which is when children are assessed against the early learning goals. So the the seven areas I the seven areas I told you about, um, yeah. each one has strands within it. So in literacy, for example, there's reading and writing, for example. Um, well, that might have changed now. I'd have to have a look at my early learning goals. This will change this year, um, and you know, teachers have to use their professional judgment and decide you know has has is the child roughly you know is a child best fit are they meeting these goals 
yes or are they meeting them yes or no um that's then fed back to parents that's then fed up to government and local authorities and um it's fed up to year one teachers to support transition and because of the way and this might just be my experience but because of the way um that um EY is is structured and they're being bound uh, sort of being bands maybe might not be but age brackets certainly of of different descriptions of of how children might develop so they're not necessarily as as um sort of uh performance descriptors as we might understand them sort of higher up the school but certainly there are kind of descriptive statements about the kind of things that a child might do um that allows people to start calculating data and numbers of jumps um, and yeah i mean getting it, into excel spreadsheets and things how do you an, feel about it's, that it's become an absolute monster and the new eyfs that we have now is meant to be moving us away from that so all those age bands you're talking about mm. i know the people who wrote that document it was called development matters um it was never intended ever to be used in that way it was a guidance document to help people understand child development. It got completely swallowed up and became this tick-off list. Um, but that those age bands are not statutory. People don't have to use those. The only thing you have to use are the early learning goals at the end of reception. So currently what we have now, we have a new EYFS with the early learning goals, but actually how you... There are different documents that you can use if you want to look at tracking, although we are meant to be moving away from tracking. So people now aren't so much talking about um, which band are children in. People are now thinking and having discussions about, you know, is this child where they're meant to be? Or, you know, for their age, are they, are they on track where they're meant to be or are they not? And if they're not, what are we going to do about it? There has been quite a significant change from government because the whole age band thing was quite frankly an absolute monster that grew yeah um, and got kind of um people target I, I, tracker and all of those yeah, programs i feel that was, was you know yeah something that works maybe higher up the school when yeah. you, you know or, or as you become older maybe but had got imposed down and they've gone hang yeah. on we've got these things well let's tick them off and it became a bit like app oh. was in sec in primary at one point where you were it, kind of how many how many things could you highlight yeah. and, and and things like that now um we've talked a little about assessment there but we haven't talked about the the how of assessment yeah, which is so, slightly different because i'm not yeah. collecting in written essays no. to be able to grade or anything so how how does that actually take well, place then again that has also become a bit of a monster over the years with people thinking they've got to document and evidence every single thing a child can do there was a myth years ago that if you hadn't seen it three times, you couldn't say they'd done it. I mean, you know, it, this has become ridiculous. But how we assess children in, in the early years is we assess them by observing them. We assess them through our interactions. Now, as a reception teacher, I will do phonic assessments with the children so I can see, you know, which things, that, which sounds they know, which ones they don't know. So there might be some assessments like that or a math assessment, you know, how are they getting on with their counting? But the majority of our assessment is observation. And again, with the new EYFS, it isn't about recording lots and lots of photographs, lots of post-it notes. It's not about that. 
it's about professional dialogue so you know as a senior leader it's about you talking to your staff if you're having people progress meetings as we do at our school and you go through the children you talk about the children and if you spend your time with the children then you will know your children um, I used to do quite a lot of moderating. I used to go out and do a lot of this for the local authority. And I was always quite surprised, you know, when you've got teachers who don't have, who are very, very tied to formal teaching, they don't know their children at all. Because they only see them through that lens of when they're with them doing a worksheet or whatever. You know, all of my staff, we know our children, we know their quirks, we know their little funny ways and their interests and their motivations because you spend your time with them. So, you know, if you're a school leader, please don't be asking your early years leaders or your early year staff for don't be expecting to see lots and lots of evidence because of the, even the DFE say it's about practitioner knowledge. And, you know, that is something I recognise. I don't know if it was or it tied in with, certainly it felt to me, it tied in with a time in primary education, sort of higher up Kisichi, where we were doing triple marking and having yeah. verbal feedback stamps and all those things. And I remember seeing an incredible burden of people, uh, you know, completing post-it notes of quotes of what children had said, taking mm -hmm. photos of them. And this is when technology maybe wasn't where we're at now in the classroom. So, you know, an actual digital camera, taking photos, plugging that in, printing yeah. off pictures, sticking them into a book for each child yeah. and cutting them. And it, it, that became quite a big task. And there are some other ones that where people now have, you know, handheld devices that they yeah. can do video recording and do it a bit easier. But certainly at a point I remember that being an incredibly onerous task. Yeah. Oh gosh, it's, it's, you know, I'd spend my weekends matching up stickers and notes and, you know, and putting them into their folders. And I mean, in my school, we still do have learning journey folders, but when you pick them up, they're much thinner than they used to be. But what's in them is in there for a reason, you know, it's in there because it really tells us something. Yeah. And actually, you know, the main source of knowledge about children are the staff that work with them, I would say. Um. And, um, okay, I'm just going to check through to see if I've got I, – I, do you know what? I think I've done all of the really, like, you know, the ones where I have to, like, say something controversial. I'm not a I tell you know, you, I tell you, controversial person. No, you haven't. So, <laughs> I'll tell you what I would say, though. When you talk about marking and, you know, um, you know um, things like, you know, writing verbal feedback in books and all that sort of thing, there are reception teachers who are doing that now. That you know, yeah. I, I'm I'm talking to Wait, you for, tonight. For children who can't yeah, read. in reception. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, wow. yes, yes, yes. So I'm talking to you tonight as a reception teacher who is very um, focused on child development and 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 has a. I'm part of the SLT, so that's a big help. Yeah. Um, but has the trust of my SLT. I would say that in my reception class our children probably get more time to play than a lot of other reception children. So there are reception teachers who under who are um, doing, you know, spending their days getting children doing work in books and doing tickled pink and green for growth. I've seen it. Wow. So I, I'm giving you my view, my yeah. experience, but that isn't everyone's experience. And I've, I, you know, I, I actually commissioned a um, commission. Look at me sounding all posh. I did a survey for reception teachers, all right, 
I'm yeah. no I'm no big researcher, but I did a, a reception teacher survey. I got a thousand um, responses from it, which I put into a blog. And the message from reception teachers is they're under huge pressure, top-down pressure. They don't have time to support their children um, and that their classrooms are looking more and more like Key Stage 1. Mm-hmm. I, you know, um, I think that transition is brilliant. What we're going to do, I'm going to go to ads, news, yep. uh, tech update we have. So it's about six minutes in total. But when we come back, and this will be our kind of big wrap up, our kind of hopes and dreams, what anyone who's, you know, a member of SLT, maybe not uh, experienced in the EYFS, should be taking away, how we can support, and maybe some advice for yeah. any early years teachers who are listening to, um you know, things they can say or ways that they can help persuade if they are in a situation like you described where there maybe things aren't clicking for them. Are you okay to stick around? Yeah, definitely. I'm here. Fabulous. And if you are listening live, don't forget you can text us in your questions or tweet them on Twitter. Uh, We will see you on the other side of the news and the ads and the tech updates. So we see you then. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.weatherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Introducing Uplearn. Uplearn is an online curriculum learning resource for A-levels that improves student outcomes whilst reducing teacher workloads. Teachers use Uplearn to facilitate independent learning and consolidation of classroom material. Over 150 schools have seen grade improvements with Uplearn, including St Paul's Girls School, Michaela Community School and ARC Schools. Book a demo at uplearn.co.uk and quote TTR for 10% off. That's Uplearn, U-P-L-E-A-R-N If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common. A passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are Witherslack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.witherslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. Schools Climate Education South Yorkshire will host its second climate conference this year. It is a free event and will feature Henry Firth and Ian Thesby, the world-renowned vegan chef duo Bosch, food upcycling organisation Foodworks and a science workshop from Amaze Lab. The event will run from the 1st to the 3rd of March and will include live and pre-recorded virtual sessions aimed at teachers and students of all ages. 
coordinator, Richard Souter, said that school's climate education South Yorkshire was set up in response to the climate crisis and the inadequate progress being made in combating it. We hope these conferences are the start of a journey for staff and young people in doing what they can within their schools and communities to both promote and advocate for change. Rafia Hussein, a secondary teacher in Sheffield, who was involved in the conference last year, said, It got the environment ball rolling in my school. We were able to self-reflect as a school and think about what we can do both individually and collectively. It certainly raised awareness. Steve Chalk, founder of the Oasis Academy Trust, has warned that the lifting of COVID restrictions in England will lead to a further rise in homeschooling. Mr Chalk said, I think it will become a forced form of exclusion for those who are vulnerable, those immunosuppressed children and staff who are put at increased risk. Also staff who are living with their own immunosuppressed children. I think we will see a group of children turning away from education. It will lead to a further rise in home education. It can be a route for those who are worried or scared. All of this will play together in some unhelpful ways. The gamble, in my mind, is that attendance among many of the most vulnerable stops or goes down, so it becomes a form of exclusion. Removing the requirement for positive cases to self-isolate puts them all at increased risk. Councils in England reported in November that there had been a 34% jump in the number of parents choosing to take their children out of school to teach them at home. The DfE is also concerned about attendance, which stood at 86.2% in secondary schools on the 3rd of February, while pre-COVID it would be about 95%. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, today I'm responding to a tweet from Michelle Stevens at M underscore Stevens Zero, pointing out to at Team English One that a lot of people don't know about the snipping tool, and she was compiling a list of shortcuts. The thread sparked a lot of fantastic responses and inspired today's Two Minute Tech. Today I present Getting Snippy With It. In Windows, a simple shortcut combo of Windows plus Shift plus S opens the snipping tool. The snipping tool is like an advanced version of print screen. After the combo key press, a small menu appears giving you five options. Rectangle select, which is draw a box around what you want. Freeform select, which is draw a shape around what you want. Window select, which is pick the window you want to capture. Screen select, which captures the full screen or replication of the print screen button. Some may say there's no point to this, but stay tuned. There is. Finally, there's a cross to close and pressing escape can do the same thing. If you have an interactive board, you can pin snip and sketch to your taskbar. Right click the icon and select pin to taskbar. Now you can press it to make screen grabs and not have to go over to the keyboard. Snip and Sketch also gives you the ability to annotate on a screenshot. To make this even more powerful, 
Did you know pressing Windows and V shows your last 25 captures to your clipboard? The first time you use this, you'll need to switch on the feature by pressing Windows and V and agreeing to switch it on. Now you can take several screen captures and then paste them into the app you're presenting with. This can be very time efficient. For this week's visual version of the episode, I've made a series of clips and given some real life examples of using the snipping tool. So don't forget to check out TT Radio 2020 Twitter feed. I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello everyone, welcome to Swansea. Welcome to the Twilight Show with me, Nathan Ginn, on Teachers Talk Radio. And we're joined by Elaine Bennett, um, who's been with us all show. Uh, She's an EYFS lead, reception teacher, author, trainer, at Keep EYS unique on twitter if you want to follow her um and we have been i've been describing it as a primer for early years um an explanation if you are wondering why uh, i don't know i i'm, I'm going to put it out there this is not meant I, i'm going to try and say it in not like it is in no way a derogatory comment elaine but early years teachers reception class teachers are passionate about what what they are doing and that comes across sometimes when people get something wrong uh about what they say so we've been addressing some of those misconceptions is that a fair statement yeah completely i think i yeah no, that's fine I, I think i think you're completely right there um yeah I, it's interesting i mean you know I'm, I'm on twitter and there's there's one particular um uh tweeter who sort of refers to the early years mafia you know as as if we're sort of we're not we're just a group of people that are really passionate about getting things right for young children well I think you know I think I think now more than ever I think children need those voices so you know keep on standing up there but I think it is you know it is important that uh, different um, areas within and um, within education, and particularly this one, because I, you know, as I've said throughout, I think people make the mistake of assuming that primary in particular is a homogenous group, of forgetting that um, reception classes are working under a different framework, as we've said, that some schools have nursery classes as well, and mm. that there is, you know, when we're talking about a three-year-old going to school, potentially, that there is a significant amount of different things they need first before we sit at a desk and write some lines Mm. and you know i mean you know if you're if you're a school leader um and you're in a primary school then you know the the early years are are where it begins for your for your school um and you need to you know you need to make sure you've got really strong staff down there you know really skilled staff down there um you know just as we were saying about before about people being sort of dumped into reception and not knowing what they're doing that you know i hope it stops now but there has been a point in in time where often people you know some school leaders would put people into the early years they were trying to get rid of or people they thought weren't very strong teachers i'll put them in there they'll be all right in there you know i think it's an absolute travesty you you need to have 
you know, you need to make sure you've got the right team in your early years because what happens there is going to set up a lot for what happens throughout the rest of your school. Oh, certainly. And I would definitely echo that about the team because uh, it is very much a, you know, in any classroom, teacher and teaching assistant is a, is a team. But in early years, particularly as there is sometimes more than um, two people working in that, mm. there is sometimes, particularly depending on the organisation, if you are a uh, two-form entry school, you might have a shared outside area where, you know, you're working far more collectively. Certainly the team element happens um, in my experience is, is more important there. And I, yeah, I recognize that kind of idea or historically I recognize that idea because I see the same things sometimes echoed in secondary with PE teachers who I think are probably some of the best at organization of activities of um, immediate feedback because of the way they have to work of uh, behavior management. And I see that very much reflected in, uh, earlier settings as well because of mm. the nature of what you're doing um it is sad to you know to to reflect that at some points it has been looked down on for want of a better way because they are younger maybe because it is seen as less academic I don't know mm. yeah exactly you know oh you just play all day don't you oh it's not real teaching is it you know these are all things that I've I've heard over my career um, you know, I, I once took a I once took a year two class covered in a year two class, and um, whatever work we were doing, I sort of brought it to life, and I let the children do some construction about it and all of that. And a comment was made by a member of support staff, "Oh yeah, but you're cheating. You're letting them play." I was like, "What? You know, <laughs> how, how have we got here? How have we got to a place where, you know, letting some six year olds do some hands on learning is cheating? I mean." I'm, I don't know. So, yeah, I mean, I know we're going to come on to sort of thinking about SLT, but. Yeah. So I think you know. that's where we want to, yeah, where we want to go to next is, you know, I'm, I'm picturing this, I'm pitching this as, you know, maybe for people who, um, you know, either members of SLT who don't know enough and, mm -hmm. you know, they should be reflecting on that would be my opinion that, 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 that is part of being a leader is you have to reflect on those things. And unless you have done some specific training, I would say you don't know enough. You know, no. unless you've come from that background, unless you've done some specific training on it, you do not know enough. A few lesson observations or talk to the teacher is not enough for, for what we're talking about. Um, and maybe the, the opposite side of that coin would be any class teachers who are trying to, I don't want to say manage up, but it does happen sometimes, or, you know, put their case forward for what they need, why they need the outdoor space, why they need the additional yeah. staffing, those type of things. So, um let's start with what kind of things can go wrong and if we work from that from that point of view so we've talked a little bit about um kind of expectation on formal lessons if that yeah. is something that people are happening what sort of advice would you give someone who came to you and said look this is what I'm being pushed towards you know what I've, I I think a good thing can often be to say to the person oh well why don't you come and show me then how to do that <laughs> Why don't you come and demonstrate for me, you know, what that might look like? Because they'll very quickly realise that it's, it's not going to work with a bunch of four-year-olds. I can tell you that for nothing. Um, but I, I, I think personally I would be, if, you know, if that, was, if that was the situation that I was in, and I'm very thankful that I'm not, um, I would be directing those school leaders to what Ofsted say about teaching in the early years, mm. that teaching in the early years definition. 
I'd be directing them to that. I'd be showing them, I'd be highlighting and pointing out the EYFS framework, which actually says, you know, there's no preferred teaching style. Um, and that OFTA definition actually begins by saying teaching um, something about does not imply top-down ways of working. So, you know, if you use, use that Ofsted quote, um, it's the Ofsted um, teaching, um, the Ofsted definition of teaching in the early years. So use that quote, you know, use what the EYFS is saying and get these people to come down into, into reception and see, you know, or nursery, get them to actually, because I, I can't, and I've again met leaders over the years who are almost scared to come into nursery and reception. They're actually scared to come in or they might touch me all, you know, they, I mean, they're part of your school. Why, why are people so scared of coming into a, a class of small children? And, and what, you know, I, I was going to ask about that because, you know, we're, it's not, you know, a year six teacher might easily walk in with a pile of books and flick through the books or, you know, those kind of things or have yeah. some SATS based data yeah. that, they, you know, they've been doing SATS tests every half term and would have that you, for early years. It, it, it has to be seen. It has to be observed. Yeah. Really, you, to you, understand. You, you need to get these colleagues to come down, whether they're sub. I mean, if we think about often at the moment, you know, and deep dives, mm. That is has put another huge pressure on early years because there's a there's now this kind of alignment, you know, where you've got the English coordinator saying, Well, how do you teach English in reception? And you've got the the DT, you know, the DT one at the door. Well, how do you teach DT in reception or nursery? So I think what I'd be saying to colleagues is invite those colleagues, those subject leaders or, or senior leaders into the environment, but don't just leave them standing there actually show them and walk them around because they're not going to see what you can see so you know actually walk those members of staff around with you and say look what you can see here is you know mrs bloggs is teaching some english over there because she's sitting with those children and they're reading a book together or mrs so-and-so is teaching some maths over there because those children are playing a board game or you know actually walk people around the environment and show them so they know what they're seeing because just walking in it can look chaotic i'm not gonna lie it can look chaotic sometimes when you come into an early years class well that, that is another bit and they're yeah. about and they're moving and it's not silent and it might be noisy you know it shouldn't be for a free-for-all when children should be running around the classroom and shouting that's not appropriate but it will be busy well, I was going to ask about this because this is something that I find the hardest. And maybe this is a control thing. Maybe this is just a my nature thing. But when we talk about, you know, and, and I imagine this as generally there being a table with some, you know, um, cotton wool and glue and paint and card <laughs> and, and probably some, some glitter as well there. Oh, not anymore. And, You're not allowed to have glitter anymore. Oh, no, no. And, um, and not environmental. Um, but, not invite, but you know, maybe some 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 rice or something. But you know, yeah. certainly there is a bunch of stuff there, and what they are not making, and, and this is the bit I find it hard, is they are not making a perfect replica of the craft because there is a difference there. I would I yeah. would assume between a replication of a craft snowman and them exploring and coming up with ideas for what they want to do. You're not. It, it, that's hard as a leader certainly I found yeah. and, and hard as a teacher for me to get over this idea that I have to step back let it go let them yeah. explore yeah yeah 
And, and, and you know what's really interesting? Quite often in early years classes, children will be working like that, you know, and initiating their own thing. And maybe they might not make a snowman. They might make something completely you haven't even thought of. They might make an ostrich. Yeah. The funny thing is, and they're cutting out and they're, you know, they're self-selecting, blah, blah, blah. By the time they get to year two or year three, some children become really de-skilled and, mm. you know, and, ad, you know, adults give them everything ready to stick on and glue in a certain place. And, you know, they almost lose that independence. So actually, fantastic if they're, you know, they're, they're um, not making the, 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 the perfect snowman, actually. Brilliant. Because you're focusing on the process of learning and not the outcome. Um, and that can be hard to get your head around. But again, you'd need that colleague with you explaining that to you, you know, helping mm. you pick out those effective learning characteristics, the physical skills that are being developed at the same time and the creativity. Now, the other thing that I would, you know, I have come across or certainly um, butted heads about um, in a defence of reception classes, I should say, is um, the amount of resources that are required to deliver in this yeah. way um, yeah. you know being having to be as a school willing to go through a hundred white blends a term because they'll you know they, they just go through stuff oh yeah and that might be something that a school you know i remember having a conversation with uh, a school manager about the fact that sand it's not allowing early years sand is like not allowing another class paper it yeah, is yeah. it is a curriculum resource that they need so schools need to establish properly yeah exactly and and you know there are a lot of teachers out there who spend their own money on things because they can't get it otherwise which you mm. know is a huge issue we've got so many teachers who can't even afford to live and they're buying all their own resources or they're trawling charity shops or boot sales you know so there's huge issues there but yeah i mean i'm forever asking for new whiteboard pens you know and i'll ask for 30 at a time but i say well, isn't it good the children are using them because they are using them so, yeah, you know, and a lot of I'm sure anyone out there who is a school leader or works in early years will know that the early years team are often the one I, I always get. Oh, you're always asking for money. It's a bit of a joke because, you know, I am because we need things, as you as you say. Um, you know, last year we got um, we saved up and we finally got some wonderful wooden blocks. You know, they cost two thousand pounds. But the learning that comes out of them is absolutely phenomenal. They are worth their weight in gold. Um, if I wanted so, to yeah. start another campaign, you know, about something, and I, I better just check that none of our sponsors are, you know, an educational resources charity before I say this, but um, or company, should I say, not charity, but the cost of stuff, you know, it, when it comes to a school buying it from a school yeah. co, that, you know, it is surprising how much, as yeah. you say, a block set of wooden blocks, um, a, a construction set, it's a significant investment if you're not looking after it, it is, I suppose, but, if you're not. But, yeah, it is. But at the same time, you know, you've got those, like those wooden blocks, you know, £2,000, but they're going to last. They're going to outlive me being there. So when you know, as a, when you do get money, you spend it really wisely. Yes, there are the consumable things you're talking about, but also there are scrap stores you can go to. As you know, you can go to and get great free bits and pieces. There's quite a big. I don't know if you're familiar with loose parts. There's a great mm. big loose parts movement. I mean, the other day, some parents to me donated four booster seats. You know, they're now in the garden. They didn't cost me a penny, 
But when you get those wooden blocks out and you get the booster seats out, you've got cars, you've got helicopters, you've got speedboats, you've got ambulances being built. You know, so it's about that mixture. Yes, there are things you need money for, but there's also a lot of things that don't cost anything. And I would say on top of that, as you've described, I like or I, you know, I, I because of the imagination side of it, I like things that aren't a specific game. Open-ended. Does that make sense? Yeah, open-ended, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, don't you know, don't have the plastic pirate ship, don't have the plastic garage. If they want a garage, they've got to make it themselves. It requires it's a bit like your snowman example. It requires a lot more thinking and creativity. Um, I mean if I could just I know we're getting towards the end now, but if I could just no. if I can say a couple of things about if you're a school leader, a bit of advice for school leaders. Go for it, yeah. Respect your team, listen to your team. They the chances are, no disrespect school leaders, they know a lot more than you. So listen to them, respect what they're telling you. Don't be scared to go and visit reception and nursery. Get down there and spend time with those children. You know, wallow, you know, get down. Don't go down with a clipboard and looking all smart, you know. Go down, get on your hands and knees and, you know, and get down with the children and see what's happening. Listen to your colleagues. Ask questions, you know, ask. Don't make assumptions, don't walk in and start grilling children. What are you learning? What's your learning objective? Don't do any of that business. Just sit down and ask you ask your colleagues questions if you want to find out. Um, and just keep remembering that the early years is not key stage one. It's not key stage two. It's it's a it's a it's a key stage in its own right. Um, and it's a phenomenal key stage. If you think birth to five, you know, think of a newborn baby to a five year old. What a phenomenal phase of development. And get yourself trained up. You know, check out Julie Fisher. Um, there's a great document called Birth to Five Matters I've been involved in writing, a free document. Um, check out Early Education, a, a charity that I work with who delivers some amazing training. And also, when you go and visit that reception or nursery class, please take your coat and please go outside. Don't just, you know, look out of a window. You know, get out there and see what's happening. Um and yeah, and, and just, you know, just be ready to listen and ready to support, I would say. Well, and you let know, the I... children show you, is what I would say. Because if you walk into that classroom and your children are happy, they're engaged, they're settled, they're learning, they're making progress. And that's not uh, going to look neat and it's not going to look tidy and it might probably not be written down in a book anywhere. I love that as a, as a perfect ending sort of for this. It's been so great to talk to you. Um, thank you for kind of, you know, humouring my um, uh, questions from a non-specialist point of view. But I think it's so important people understand some of this stuff. Oh, it's, do you know what? It's been, a, it's been a real joy to chat with you. And, you know, I'll always come back on if you want to have your ears talked off some more. Um, oh, certainly. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, no, I, you know, I'd love to have you back at some point um, to get a bit more, you know, into the nitty gritty of it, because we've been very kind of surface level a little bit, you know, get the baseline in, which has been wonderful. And this will be there for anyone listening um, to listen back as a podcast, of course. So thank you so much, Elaine. And well, we thank will you. Uh, Nostar, everyone, as we say here in Wales. Good night. And we will see you all uh, next time. So off we go. Happy birthday to you, Nathan. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio.